Galatians 5, 1 through 6. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become uh, circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Why don't you guys go ahead and turn to a person you came with, look around, maybe get in groups of three or four, just turn and pick someone in your group to pray over this morning's message, pray over the people in your group for their hearts to receive the word of God this morning, and we'll get in this together. So uh, just look for someone, appoint someone, say, hey, you, you're praying for our group. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Verse 1 falls so nicely in with chapter 4. We have this two systems of religion that are not even close to being the same. They are diametrically opposed to each other. And Paul addresses them where you have a religion of human achievement that was being preached by a group called the Judaizers. It was a religion of legalism versus a religion of divine achievement through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is true Christianity. That is a true, unperverted gospel. For those who've experienced the joy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, to come to a point where they would pull out the building block of the grace of Jesus, Paul preaches to that. He preaches to this group that are being tempted to listen to the false religion of the Judaizers. The Galatians were a set of churches that were trying to ride the fence between these two systems. That it was Jesus plus works that saves. Where Hendrickson says, a Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. We do not cannot, dare not add to the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. You know, people say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere about it. And I would say that just makes you someone who's sincerely wrong. In verses 22 through 24 of chapter 3, a couple years ago, <laughs> a couple chapters ago, we see that the law, that this, the Old Testament, that the Ten Commandments plus the, hundred, or the 603 other commandments of the law did serve a really good purpose. And Romans chapter 7 tells us that the law is good and pure and righteous. It is good. Nothing wrong with the law. The problem is there's something wrong with this dude. 
and those dudettes out there. It's that you can't keep that law. And I cannot keep that law. The law is good, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And so chapter 3 tells us that the law serves three different purposes. First of all, the law is like a prison that confines me under sin. It shows me that I am a sinner and it keeps me there waiting for the key of the promise who is Jesus Christ. In that same picture, Galatians also tells us that the law, the law of Moses, the law of self-righteousness, not self-righteousness rather, but the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the 603 additional commandments, the scriptures, they also serve as the jailer that keeps me confined under sin. And then the third thing that Galatians chapter 3 tells us is that the law serves as a tutor or a harsh schoolmaster that shows me I'm a sinner with the red pen, marking up my life, showing me that I am a sinner desperately in need of a savior. That the law cannot set us free, but shows us that we are in bondage if we are apart from Jesus. Galatians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5 says, Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. And that chapter goes on to show us in chapter 4 that those elements of the world are on the same level of pagan darkness and demonism okay so what paul is saying is that for us to go back to a works-based righteousness before god of human achievement to make us something before him and to receive acceptance from him it's on the same level as you know um aztecian demonism human sacrifice in south america or something you know it same thing This just looks a little cleaner and a little more polished and a little more religious. But it is bondage to worldly elements and it is worshiping false gods, Paul tells us. It's not just a cute little clean religiosity. It's demonic. And so it goes on to say in Galatians 4.3, not only were we in bondage to that same type of demonic elements of worldliness, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So while we were in bondage, in the perfect time, at just the right time, at the crescendo of human history, God... God sent his son. He sent his son born of a virgin and born of a woman and born under the law to fulfill the law. He is the key. He is the promise to open those jail doors and to let us out and to get us out from under the harsh schoolmaster so that we can graduate and have the freedom of a graduate, of a son, so that we could receive the adoption as sons. And then last week's message, we compared and contrasted from the law, from the story of the law, from the story of Abraham and his wife and his wife's mistress and the children that came from those children. And we are encouraged by Paul to pick a mom. That was our Mother's Day message. It was something along the lines of pick a mom. I don't think it was that cool. That would have been a great Mother's Day title. But if we have that picture, can we go ahead and put it up? 
of the two different moms that Paul gives us. We have a mother of Hagar, and Ish, uh, who is the bondwoman. And, and we see that she has a son named Ishmael, and they represent the law. And she had a son who was born of human exertion and fleshly wisdom and fleshly, you know, it was Abraham's, it was Sarah's, it was just all a bunch of flesh and carnality. And, and Paul says that that represents the covenant from Sinai, from Moses, that had the Ten Commandments, the, the tablets. It brought bondage. It corresponds on the earth to the earthly Jerusalem. And, and she's in bondage with her children. And that child would go on to persecute those that were free. That child would not be the heir of the promise in Genesis 12 and 15. That child and the woman would be cast out of the home. Whereas in the story, we have Sarah and Isaac who represent freedom. They represent grace. Sarah had a son that was born of the promise that it wouldn't be Ishmael in that fleshly wisdom and fleshly way, but it would be through trusting in the Lord and what he is able to do. It is a covenant and a promise that's from above and it corresponds to a geographical location as well, but it's to the heavenly Jerusalem. Sarah and Isaac are in freedom. She's in freedom with her children. Her child is persecuted by the law, by the flesh. Her child is the heir and has a heritage in all who believe. And so knowing that, that there's freedom and, and then there's bondage in all of the ways that Paul brought it so eloquently and so fully in chapter 4 that's what brings us into verse 1 of chapter 5 so thinking of that stand fast therefore so he's referring to in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and don't be entangled again with with the Hagar with the Ishmael with the flesh with bondage don't go that way Verse 1 has a positive and a negative element. The first is that there is freedom. That's positive. Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And so verse 1 of chapter 5 has been called the most important verse in the whole book. As it just trumpets and champions freedom. It is a key verse. And so in this critical passage, in critical verse, Paul wants to show us that there is freedom from fear and condemnation and any feeling that would lead us to just have to obey God. Verse 1 is a summary of all the chapters before, but where Paul tells us we can have profound freedom in Christ Jesus. In the original Greek, this first sentence is even stronger than, than how we read it in the English. He literally says, for freedom, Christ has freed you. I need something simple like that. <laughs> for freedom, Christ has freed you. It seems like a duh statement, doesn't it? Duh! But I need that. It's for freedom that Jesus did this. It's for freedom that Jesus has purchased you and ransomed you. 
Both the noun and the verb are freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom. It's like Braveheart up in here. Freedom, you know, freedom. Paul kind of does that sometimes. He's like, comfort, comfort, comfort with the comfort that you can comfort with your comfort. Freedom, 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 for freedom, for freedom, freedom, freedom. Yes. Freedom is both the means and the end of the Christian life. So stand fast in it. Stand firm in it. The language speaks of how you dig your feet in when you're in a tug-of-war match. Have you ever done a tug-of-war match? I mean, you wish you had cleats on or something because you are just... like and You just... Oh, don't, oh, we're on grass. That's horrible, you know. And you're just trying to get in there. Stand fast in the freedom by which Christ has made you free. It's a military word that mixes the ideas of keeping alert, being on guard, being strong, resisting attack, and keeping together. I mean, there's just like this. Stand fast in the freedom. In short, despite the fact that we've already been saved by Christ, speaking to you Christians out there, we must be diligent to remember, preserve, rejoice in, and live in our salvation. That really ministered to me this week as I read that from Keller. Kind of helps put a, a string around these six verses. We gotta, we, we, we've got to be diligent to remember the gospel. Bring it before us. Preach it to ourselves every day. Preserve the gospel in our personal lives. In my heart and, and in my marriage and in my family and my kids, like man, the gospel, we've got to stand firm in the freedom. We've got to rejoice in the gospel, live in the gospel of our salvation. Freedom and liberty. We love it, right? It makes you want to strap on the bald eagle hat, you know, and put the American flag with the glitter on your shirt, you know. I mean, we love freedom. We're concerned with freedom as we come to November. <laughs> Where's it going to go? Who knows, really? But it doesn't really matter because we've got freedom. Amen. We've got freedom in Jesus. Freedom from guilt of our sin. Freedom from fear of doing one sin too many and being condemned forever. If you have that fear, it means that you haven't stood firm in the freedom by which Christ has made you free. Those conversations we have with our kids when they say, Daddy, how many sins can you be forgiven of? All of them, honey. All of them. Past, present, future. We can be freed from those sins. I like, I like John eight thirty six, and I like it in the ESV, in this case, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Stand firm in that freedom by which Christ has made us free. Jesus is the promise 
of freedom through Abraham. He is the key that takes us out of the cage of confinement that the law places upon us. He has made us free. In the Greek, it's in the aorist tense. I know that doesn't matter to you, but it matters because it's a single past action that is now complete. He has made us free. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. It's done. He's freed us. Stand in that. We were children of bondage, of slavery, held down by a heavy yoke, but at just the right time and at just the right moment of human history and just man, everything coming down to it, God sent his son to be born of a woman, to be the God-man, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, and to ransom us from the curse of the law. Acts 15.1 tells us that certain men in history came down from Judea and they taught, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so we see there's this joyful moment of freedom, freedom, and then we got someone that comes in and starts putting a yoke and a weight upon us again. Certain men came down and they said, unless you're circumcised and keeping the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. It goes on in Acts 15.10 to say that this puts a yoke on disciples that neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. That, that going back to your works and you've got to do something religious to be saved. That was the, pro that was the problem of the Old Testament. We can never be religious enough. It is a yoke, it is a burden like placed upon an ox that just weighs down. And when pondering about that, the apostles said, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Not by this yoke, not by this heavy burden, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Christ has made us free. So do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage, which is the negative dimension of the verse. Re-enslavement. A beast willingly going back under their burden. Our freedom is wonderful, but it is fragile and can slip from our grasp. How absurd to think of a prisoner being set free, their jail cell opens. <laughs> I was having a hard time saying those two words together. Jail cell, it's hell, softy, hell. Their jail cell opens, <laughs> whatever. And they step on out with a spring in their step, and they walk right across the hall into the other cell and let it slam shut on them. How sad, how tragic. And that is what Paul is speaking of. You've been free. Don't just cruise onto the next cell and put yourself under bondage again, under slavery again. Being a lover of history and in uh, American history, I think of the Emancipation Proclamation that was publicly stated on New Year's Day back in 1863, but it wasn't until about two years later 
that the 13th Amendment actually was adopted. Because of that, so many slaves that had even been set free, even after the war, they had a real hard time like living in that reality. Uh, of course, the Emancipation Proclamation, you know, turned up the boiling point of the Civil War and, and, you know, the war wasn't even over for a while. But once the war was over, slaves still had a problem living in freedom, believing it, practicing the freedom. When, this is a common, actually, statement, but many slaves that would be freed and then interviewed were asked what they thought of their great emancipator, Abraham Lincoln. And in one uh, free slave's words, he says, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, except they say he sought us free, and I don't know nothing about that neither. And it's just a picture of the Christian life. How many Christians know nothing about grace? Know nothing about Jesus, their liberator. Know nothing about the free state of Christianity. And shortly after Congress passed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, Abraham Lincoln said, We are like whalers who have been on a long chase. We have at last got the harpoon into the monster, but we must now look how we steer, or with one flop of his tail, he will send us into all eternity. Footnote, go watch Into the Heart of the Sea. Great new movie about whaling, and it'll give you a, a mind for this. But this proclamation, uh, footnote over, from Abraham Lincoln led to an ex ex escalation in the Civil War and in the Rebellion. And as one man wrote, the impaling of freedom's harpoon brought a flailing response from the wail of the plantation owners. Many of us, brings it personally, have just plunged our iron barb into the breaching wail of legalism. Now we know the same feeling of the whalers and of Abraham Lincoln. Defeating legalism is going to be tough. Watch out for the tale. All that to be said, as we are in Galatians, the Holy Spirit is going to be showing us systems of religion that we have set up that are a bit different than uh, the Judaizers and circumcision. Not a big issue around here these days, you know, oh, you got circumcised, you did what to your son? Oh, you know, it's over. It's not the same struggle, but the Holy Spirit shows us how we too set up religious systems that we take stock in as achievements that make us right and righteous before God. And that is apart from the grace and the work of Jesus Christ. And as we're going through Galatians, we're going to see the whale of that legalistic doctrine we've set up. We're going to plunge our harpoon into it, and it is going to whoosh. It's going to not appreciate being called out. It's not going to appreciate uh, being uh, taken off with the surgeon's scalpel. And so as the Lord begins to put his finger on our heart and legalistic tendencies, it's going to be tough. We need the Holy Spirit 
We need the power to not go back into the jail cell, but to get out of the prison with joy and with rejoicing. If we were to go back to slavery, we have forgotten how terrible slavery was. We've got to remember how terrible slavery was. And some of you have come into this door today and you have yet to be free. You've yet to be released through the promise of Jesus Christ. And you have got just a a yoke, a weight of rules that you have placed upon yourself. Rules that you see even in the Old Testament that you place upon yourself. Rules that you've made up for yourself. Moral rules that you think you've got to do to be saved, to be born again, to go to heaven, to be in the presence of God. And you are weighed down by those this morning. And you've yet to realize that Jesus is the key. Jesus is the promise to set you free. To give you breath again. To give you new life. And we pray that you would come to Jesus today. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Take Jesus' yoke. Because he says, it is light It is easy, and you will find rest for your souls. Thinking of trekking in Nepal and coming down from Tulo Siabru and and coming up the hill as we're going down is a dude with like five donkeys. You know, he's like, "Ah, ah, ah," you know, and they're coming up and they're weighed down with this load. And there's these rocky crags that they've got to, you know, get up and their knees are kind of trembling and these things are just, they don't even have to have bits or bridles on because they ain't going nowhere but up this trail. And that's some of you today. You're under the harsh taskmaster of rules and rituals and regulation and religion. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. You hear him calling you today. Don't wait till the end of the message. If you hear him calling you today, just like the donkey that can do nothing but just fall before him. Let him take off the cinch. Let him loosen the burden. Let him pull it off and give you freedom. You got to realize how harsh sin is, how harsh your rules are. The gospel is not awesome unless you see the awfulness of your previous condition. Thomas Watson said, Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Do you see your sin to be bitter? Do you see the wake of destruction it has left behind you? Do you see your sin of self-righteousness and this false religion that you've let be placed over you? Do you see how bitter it is? Christ is sweet today as he brings freedom. Check out these four different translations on the screen of how different versions word the first phrase here. The first one is the ESV. Many of you read this, but it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. The New American Standard, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. The NIV, It is for freedom That Christ has set us free. The New English Bible. Christ has set us free. To be free men. Our former state is portrayed as slavery. Jesus Christ is portrayed as a liberator. 
Conversion is an act of emancipation today. And the Christian life is a life of freedom. In the New Testament, we see applied the principle of the bondservant or the doulos. Paul would call himself a bondservant. It's for freedom that Christ has made us free. And yet Paul the apostle says, I am a bondslave to Jesus. The principle is from Deuteronomy. And it speaks of a slave, a servant who's had family and kids as he's been a slave and a servant in the day of the seven year of jubilation has, has come and he is, he is, it's possible that he could be free. And so he's, you know, you go, feel free to go. And he's able to say, you know what? I don't want to go. I love my master. And so he can come to the doorpost of the master's house and the master will take an awl and take his ear up against the doorpost and the master will drive an awl through this man's ear. And it says, because I love my master, I willingly choose that I get to serve him. I want to. And Paul would say that about himself. I've been freed from Phariseeism and legalism and Judaism and Judaizerism and all this law stuff. But you know what? Jesus has set me free and now I'm placing myself under the slavery of someone else. But someone better. Someone whose yoke is easy and burden is light. I want to be Jesus' doulos, his bond slave. Stories told of a northerner who went to a slave auction to purchase a young slave girl. As they walked away from the auction, the man turned to the girl and said, you're free. And with amazement, she said, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want? Yeah, he said. And to say whatever I want to say? Yes, anything. And to be with whoever I want to be with? Yeah, anybody. And so she says, then I choose to be with you. And that is Paul the Apostle. Someone who would write in Galatians 5.1, stand fast in the freedom that Christ has made you free. And he also says, and you know what? That freedom means I get to be under Jesus' lordship. It is the best kind of freedom that there ever could be. There's an old hymn that says, make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me in thine arms and strong shall be my hand. It's the truest form of freedom. Is slavery to Jesus. It's the truest form of victory. Is surrender to Jesus. I love the Phillips translation of our verse today. Plant your feet firmly therefore within the freedom that Christ has won for us. And do not let yourselves be caught again in the shackles of slavery. To go back to a works-based form of righteousness before God, we call it simply legalism, is to go back to the shackles of slavery. In verse 2 it says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Paul is essentially saying, mark my words. I'm saying as solemnly as I can. It's Paul saying this. That the number one way to shackle yourself again 
is to become circumcised. Now, of course, to us, again, that doesn't mean much. And our culture does circumcise baby boys all the time. Medical reasons, simple medical procedure. What's the big dealio? The big dealio is that with Paul and with who he was writing to, to be circumcised represents saying, Jesus is not enough. His finished work isn't finished. It's not enough. I need what Moses can provide through the law, through my works, in order to be made righteous. That's what to be circumcised means here. It was the rallying cry of the Judaizers to say, unless you're circumcised, according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Circumcision represents going back to the law. And Paul says that would be a detriment to you, not a benefit. If you, and to combine all the different translations, if you are circumcised, or it says become circumcised, one translation, accept circumcision, receive circumcision, let yourself be circumcised, all of these works that we would just let ourselves rely upon, Christ will profit you nothing. What a fearfully powerful statement. I have in my notes, say it again. Christ will profit you nothing. Are those not terrifying words when put together in that order? As he would say down in verse 11 of our chapter today, the offense of of the cross would cease. Jesus' work on the cross would mean nothing, would be void, would be null, would be vain for my life. To go back to legalism is to lose the prophet, verse 2, of Christ to lose the help of Christ. The Galatians needed to make an either-or decision. Will Jesus be their treasure who would profit them? Or would they find their fulfillment in their own labors? It's been said that you cannot add to Christ without subtracting Christ. Or as Calvin says, whoever wants half of Christ loses the whole. Just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would just confront us in this room this morning. This isn't like, oh, there's one dude that came in here today that's like a bit of a legalist and we're going through Galatians real slow and painful and methodically that hopefully this guy will repent of legalism. Oh my goodness, you guys. Before we even started this book, we've been praying as elders because Our husbands and our men and our wives and our children, we are defaulting and prone to legalism. We just constantly fall back to resting in what we have done and what we can do and controlling. And uh, and we have lost sight of Jesus in the gospel. We are not standing firm, remembering the gospel, remembering how bad slavery was and how glorious our Redeemer, our Liberator is. This is every one of us here. This is for me if it's not for you. Congratulations. Don't come next week. I'll just preach to myself. I lie in bed at night saying, we're watching Jurassic Park last night. Lord, 
I don't know how big your grace is. I don't, I don't know it. How can I get up here? I want to know your grace. I want to I be where Paul is. I fall back on works. I feel better at four o'clock on a Thursday when I've been doing good with Jesus because I've done good with Jesus today. Rather than Jesus. Jesus has done good. Jesus did good. Jesus applies his goodness to me. It should be the same at four o'clock on Thursday whether I've royally blown it and screamed at my family and sped down the street and got pulled over and got a ticket and maybe even got arrested for belligerent. You know, by the end of the day and I'm sitting there in the jail cell and I'm just with my Bible weeping, remembering Jesus. It's you, Jesus. It doesn't mean that he doesn't change us and sanctify us and set us apart from those behaviors. But man, if you're walking like this at the end of the week because you've done pretty good, Christ profits you nothing. You have fallen from grace. And that is 2016 Calvary Chapel of Crook County Men, women, sons, daughters, grandmas, grandpas, worship leaders, children's ministry, instructors, janitors, you! And it's me. Oh God, let us know grace. Let us just, let us see Jesus today. And what you've done and what you can do. And let us just hope and rejoice and toast our glasses together at the end of the day and say, Jesus He's done it, you guys. He's done it. He's done it. And Paul just goes on to tell these different churches in the region of Galatia, if I could just tell you it enough, and if I could take my glasses off and weep at a pulpit or something, I'd do it to you guys. I just can't say it enough. You've got to know this. You've got to know this. I've got a little picture of a set of sticky notes that Lainey put on my Bible this week. I walked in there into my office back here and I love you. Be special. You are special to me. And you guys know me and my laner girl, right? Oh my goodness. Like she comes and tells me it's in there, you know? And so I go in there and then she just jumps off of like, she always will watch her. She'll come up to a chair and she'll lump, jump off it, leaping up into my arms. And she just squeezes me as hard as she can. And this is what she said. I can never be more serious. <laughs> that's what, that's. And that's Paul here. I can never be more serious, you guys. I'm fearful for you, lest you've labored in vain. He's going to say in verse 7, you ran well. Who hindered you? He cares. He wrote six chapters to these people can't be serious enough that if you go back to legalism, then you become a debtor. Not only does Jesus not profit you, but you become a debtor. And the minute you start trying to measure up, you are, you've, you've crossed a line that you'll just, 
It's going to overwhelm you. You'll never make it. Going back to any sort of legal, like, you guys got to remember, like, okay, so what if you're circumcised in America? Like, it doesn't mean the same thing. But if it does, and you've been resting in your circumcision, is getting you to heaven? Okay, that's what Paul's talking about, okay? But you know what it is. Might be, I wear a collared shirt to church. I mean, I just remember being there like, it's got to be collared. <laughs> Holla if you collared, okay? If whatever it is, it's like walking into the ocean, but just bloop, bloop, over your ankles, right? Just there. And you guys have been there, right? And then that force that starts pulling you, it'll suck you out into an ocean of religion that will just, you'll drown. Give it... Give it an inch. And it's not the law that's bad. It's your flesh that will take it a mile and drown you. When I was in Israel in 2000, I think it was three, we went to Caesarea Philippi where Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Well, Peter says, you're the Christ. And you know, that whole beautiful, it's a beautiful area. It's these springs of the Jordan River there. And, and there's an old idol worshiping spot where there's human sacrifice. And there's these cliffs and this one guy that was on our trip, he was a college kid, like really active and in good shape, but like drank Mountain Dew like so much that he was just like, and next thing you know, he's climbing up the altar of Pan, the goat god of the, you know, whatevers. And, and as he's, he starts climbing up and none of, none of us knew he was doing this. He's just kind of off like, and pretty soon you hear this, help, 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 you know, and we go over there and he's like, I can't do anything. <laughs> you know? We're like, you got to go up. You got to go over here. I can't. Yeah, no, you got to put your foot down there. Like, like he, we're going to leave him there. And <laughs> he, you know, it starts out like, I'm just going to get circumcised. I'm just going to do this. I'm just, I'm just going to, I did this. And, and pretty soon you're like, you can't go up. You can't, you're stuck. You've got to keep the whole, you got to commit. Got to go all the way. You got to make it to the top. But you can't. You will perish. You will be condemned. Verse 4 says, You've been estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. There's been alienation. Now you're halfway up like a cliff, like, oh no. But notice it says, You who attempt to be justified by the law. It's just an attempt. You will never make it. Don't even try it. Get off of there. You're wasting all of us tourists' time. Let's get back on the bus. <laughs> Don't attempt such a thing. You will fall from grace. And in closing, we'll have the worship team come back up. Our text today, verse 1, reminds us of the experiential freedom in Christ that we have, that the gospel brings us, that we are no longer obeying God under a burdened, enslaved motivation. Verses 2 through 4 remind us of what's called an objective freedom or a technical freedom. That we're freed from the obligation to obey the whole law. And just praying through that this week, that we wouldn't just have a technical mind of like, yeah, like I don't have to keep the law now because Jesus has kept it. So that's fulfilled. But that we would have a subjective 
encounter with the gospel today that is experiential. The truth has been declared from the pulpit today. And now we live it. Now we go live it out. The gospel of grace frees us from the guilt of slavery of sin and from the condemnation of sin. And the gospel of grace and freedom from the law, it frees us from motivation to sin. Freedom from the law, freedom from sin because of Christ Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord God, just pray your spirit would just meet our minds and our hearts. And for those today that need that realization in their mind of what you have done and what you've saved us from and how bad our slavery was, right now, God, would you preach the law to our minds? Would you show us how bad we have sinned and blown it? We don't measure up. And even trying to make it halfway is the same as breaking the whole way. Show us how we've failed. How bitter our sin is so that we can see how beautiful our Savior is. And Lord, in this place, there are children, there are middle schoolers here today. There are maybe fifth graders in here. There are young ones, high schoolers that they feel like those donkeys that just have a heavy burden on them. Just Maybe they feel like even coming here to Calvary Chapel that there's, there's some kind of religious look you've got to have or behave or just you've got to do this and do that. And Lord, would you just move in our youth, in our, their hearts that, that they would encounter grace and no grace and just see the freedom from that prison today. And Lord, for husbands and wives here today that are they just can't measure up to one another, can't measure up and just doing things right. Just, man, I bought my Mother's Day present for my wife on Monday. I was, oh, just, we can't do it, Lord. How's our marriage ever going to survive and last? And Oh, my tone and, oh, man, can't love good enough and Lord, would you shower torrents of grace on the dads here? We would teach and equip and admonish and train our children by grace. For the moms, for the wives, Lord. That by grace there would be voluntary submission in our wives, God. That by grace there would be voluntary yielding in the husbands and gracious leading in the home. Lord, that our rules that we have for safety and order and Lord, that those rules would be under the umbrella of your righteousness and what you've done and your mercy. That there would be grace in policy in our lives and our homes and our church, God. And Lord, we who have going back to something that's religious 
so that you would just appreciate us a little bit more, so that you would maybe owe us a little bit more. That you'd be extra glad you redeemed us because of the great people that we are. Let your spirit be the one that speaks to how we've alienated ourselves from you. Those that come to this place today just with a daily fear of losing their salvation. Oh Lord, that we didn't even get into verse 5, but Lord, verse 5 would just be for them that by the spirit we eagerly wait for the righteousness to come. Oh Lord, for those that are under a daily condemnation because they think that it was their works that saved them and it'll be their works to get them there on that day. Lord, that today, Lord, you would just let them surrender works-based performance. And they would just rejoice in that they have been saved by you and that they are being saved by you and they will be saved by you on that day when all that you've purchased for us is revealed. Just as we close today, just ask the Lord what ways you have set something up in your mind and in your heart that brings you righteousness with God through your works and what you do. I mean, I could make a list and I could, it got, it's got to be the Holy Spirit showing you what you've been raising up in your heart and give that to him today. And just let him drench you with his grace as he removes that yoke that you can't bear. Let's let him do that today. Let's stand together and as we sing this song, just give up the weights, give up the yokes, give up the burdens, walk out of that jail cell today into the freedom that is in Jesus. And we'll close with this song.